Radical, your favorite Bitcoin podcast. I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad <laughs> What's up, everyone? It's your boy Kaz. I'm here to tell you about Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is the best way right now to buy Bitcoin. They allow you to dollar cost average into it on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis and then withdraw to cold storage self-custody those keys. Don't wait for the perfect time to buy Bitcoin because the perfect time to buy Bitcoin was yesterday. Start dollar cost averaging with Swan and start sacking some sats. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash kaz. You'll get $10 worth of Bitcoin when you sign up. Hope you enjoy this episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. All right. Hey, what's up, Gary? How are we doing today? I am doing excellent. Excellent. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate your time. You know, so tell me a little bit about your background. So I'm sitting down with one of the most famous podcasters. So let's tell the audience who you are. I don't know about the most famous, but I've been in it a long time. Um, started podcasting back in 2000. What, four? I think I was a I was like either one of the, I was probably one of the first hundred podcasters on the planet for sure, because it was like not many, there weren't many people doing it. And when someone, I saw a new podcast, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I tell them, there's a new podcast out, you know? And, uh, immediately I think I, like I said, I was one of the first hundred podcasters. I started a podcast directory. Um, so a place where you could come find podcasts, just like, uh, just like iTunes, iTunes didn't have podcasts at the time. Um, you know, we had iPods back then. We didn't have phones that you could listen to stuff on, and you had to have a place to go find these podcasts. And I think there were two podcast directories after I built mine. Uh, mine probably um, came out January 2005. I've been in it a couple of months when I started the podcast directory, and it was the place people went for podcasts in 2006. It was in Time Magazine as one of Time Magazine's 50 coolest websites in the world. Um, cause podcasting was really new. So, um, I've yeah, been so, podcasting a long time. So what made you start podcasting back in 2004? Uh, I, I, back then I subscribed to a lot of newsletters for marketing that I'd received. And I found one on, it basically just had a one paragraph clip in it going, there's a new technology coming out called podcasting. Looks like it could have some uses for marketing. And I was like, well, let's get going on this. Cause I had at the time four guys that worked for me and, uh, doing my internet content. And so I assigned one of the tasks, well, let's get this going. And, uh, he started building the directory and showed me what he had in the cut. I said, no, nah, I just want to do a podcast, but the directory was almost done because <laughs> I didn't know what was involved in the podcast. <clears throat> and then we got the podcast done and, and I, uh, <clears throat> started podcasting and I enjoyed it. I, I've, it's been very good to me. Podcasting is a, a great resource. It's all I listen to anymore. So, yeah. So let's backtrack just a bit before you started your podcast. So you started uh, selling wallpaper on the internet in what nineteen ninety six? Yes. Let's backtrack that a little bit further back than that, if you want. In nineteen seventy nine, I moved to Texas with like twelve dollars in my pocket. I mean, that's all the money I had. And I stayed with a friend for like the first month. And then I started doing, um, selling siding for a while, selling this, selling that. And then I started selling mini blinds door to door. I just go down the street, knocking on people's doors. Saying, I'd go to new neighborhoods where they were just building a house. 
you know, houses were being built everywhere. And you just went down the street and looked for people who had sheets on their windows because they hadn't bought anything for their windows yet. And you just knock on the door and sell them windows. And that turned into a full decorating company. At one point in time, I sold more mini blinds. That's all they had back then. They didn't have wood blinds and all these things. But I sold more mini blinds, my company, than any other company in Texas. I mean, we sold a ton of them. And then that enveloped into a decorating store with wallpaper. And I saw blinds were going to die. So I started because of Home Depot and stores like that selling them. So I started selling wallpaper. And I became the biggest wallpaper. I'm now currently the largest wallpaper store in Texas. And in 96, I started a website. I found out about the net. Tried to start it in 95, but I just couldn't get the shopping. We couldn't get the shopping cart built. Because you couldn't just buy a shopping cart back then, you know, and put it on your site. It was a little yeah. more difficult. So we finally got it built in 96. And I remember I was calling manufacturers of wallpaper saying, hey, do you have any photos you can send me? And we were going to scan these photos to put on the website. And they would go, what do you want these photos for? And I'd say, well, I'm building this website to sell wallpaper. And they were like, well, we're not going to waste our time sending you photos. That's the stupidest idea we ever heard of. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times I was told that people won't buy stuff on the internet. That's stupid. And I said, well, I would buy stuff on the internet. And I think I'm pretty average Joe. So if I would do something, I think lots of people would. So I did. And that continued to this day. That store is uh, continuing. And I have maybe 15 websites now for different things, but that lasted for quite a while that I really stayed involved with that. And now my wife pretty much handles that. But that was that was how I got into e-commerce was from the wallpaper store. And then I had a daughter who played softball, fast pitch softball at a really high level. Um, like we went, her team won two state championships in Texas and we couldn't find softball equipment. We were going and buying like one fall, we were buying men's football cleats to uh, her to play softball with because there weren't any softball or baseball cleats because of the time of year, the big box stores just carried them in the spring and there weren't girls cleats hardly at all. So I started a website to sell softball equipment and that turned out, I didn't know at the time, but that turned out to be the first website for girls fast pitch softball dedicated to that sport. Until then, everybody bought their stuff on the web from either baseball sites or men's slow pitch websites. So with that being the first one, basically, needless to say, there was a large market and no one capturing that market. So that website took off, I mean, like a rocket. I mean, it was just amazing. It was just something I was doing in the evening, you know, and it went from a couple of thousand a month, next month, 5,000, next month, 10, then 20, then 40, then 80. I mean, it, it was just growing it every month like that because we had a captured audience, I guess. And um, that still runs today. And we built a brick and mortar store. It's funny, we were just going to be a website only. I didn't want a store. I didn't want people coming in and having to deal with them. But back then, we accepted checks. <laughs> and people would send their <laughs> checks in the mail. A lot of people didn't want to use the internet. They would, just wanted to shop on it and, and mail a check. And so we had the address for the checks. And people would come banging on the warehouse door, basically going, is there a softball store in here? Because we didn't have a sign or anything. And we were doing like 30000 a month just in local sales of people coming up, knocking on the damn door, tracking us down. <laughs> so we decided to uh, make the warehouse into a store. So uh, we basically bought fixtures and took everything out of the boxes and put them on shelves. And that store still operates today. And that probably was, that probably was the first store in the country dedicated to girls' fast pitch softball also. So that's my uh, ventures into from the time I got here to, um, till I guess, Bitcoin, you know, um, what I was doing. 
and what I've done. So after softball, then you started your podcast, then you right. started. And then that, with that, movement. I went into the Hall of Fame. Yes. Yeah. And then you started Podcast Movement, which was a big conference. It still is a big um, conference. We had 3,000 yeah. last year in Orlando. It traveled the country, a different city. It still does. But this year, it was supposed to come back to Dallas. Um, I started that maybe seven years ago with some friends of mine. The four of us started it. And like I said, we grew it to the largest podcasting conference. I seem to have a tendency to like to get big for some reason. But that grew to the biggest podcasting conference probably in the world. We have people come from all over the planet. And then... I sold out my share of that last year to a company called High Five Media. They they own a show. Since you're in the uh, Texas area, you may know Kid Craddock Radio Show. Um, no. They they bought that show when he died. It's a big show, I guess, for older people probably. And uh, they bought my conference, my part of the conference, um, and part, someone else's part. They wanted to own fifty one percent of it, and I sold all mine. You know what? Which they had to cancel this year, so. I- I might have done it at a good time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then after all of this, obviously you can identify trends, uh, mm-hmm. selling on the internet, podcasts, and now you're on Bitcoin. So how did you get into Bitcoin and why are you interested in it? Well, you know, Bitcoin, I hate to say, but I did like most people. I didn't pay any attention the first time or two I was told about it. I think I was first told about it by a guy named Mark Hopkins. Uh, who's an old podcasting buddy of mine in Dallas. And it was maybe a hundred dollars, you know, a Bitcoin at the time. But I think he explained it to me like online stocks. You know, I think he used that reference. So maybe he thought being an older person, I would understand that better. And I was not interested at all because I bet basically am no good at picking and buying and selling stocks. I mean, I've hit a couple of winners, but I've hit way more losers. So I just use a financial service company to handle that for me because they do a better job than I can do. Um, so I refused it. And then I was speaking at the Big D Design Conference in Dallas. I guess that's the Big Dallas Design Conference. I was speaking there and I was walking down a hall and a friend of mine, Tony Sakala, was talking to some other friends about Bitcoin. And I approached up, I guess, halfway in the conversation and he was explaining it more like the tech of it, you know, um, than the financial side of it. And I found that interesting. So everybody left after he was telling them no one was interested and I was. And I said, can you tell me more about it? And we sat down on the couch and gosh, I think that might've been two o'clock in the afternoon. And we sat on the couch talking about Bitcoin until the conference closed, you know, eight, five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever. And then I came the next day to meet him and talk about Bitcoin again. And went over to his house, he had some mining machines he showed me and uh, he was mining Zcash at the time back then, I think. And so he was explaining to me, had a hard time understanding this. You know, you had Bitcoin, he had Ethereum. He was mining Zcash. I mean, this Litecoin. I mean, it was pretty uh, hard to understand at first. Um, matter of fact, when I left the conference the first day, because I'm a big podcast listener, I got in my car, <laughs> searched on my podcast uh, aggregator. I searched uh, Bitcoin and started listening to Bitcoin podcasts on the way home. For some reason, that at that conference, it all stuck out on me that it was definitely something worth investigating. So I was putting, when I do something, I pretty much am attention deficit and I just focus on one thing. I have tunnel vision. And at that point I was tunnel vision now was not building websites, not softball, not podcasting. It was Bitcoin. And then from there you started 
a big Bitcoin conference. So Bitblock Boom, tell us about that. Yeah, that'll be the third year. This will be our third year for Bitblock Boom. And yeah, it's funny. I decided to do a conference when I I probably had been in Bitcoin six months. I mean, in all reality, I didn't know that much about it. I couldn't probably even explain some of the simple things now, things that seem simple. But I wanted to do a conference. Um, I like doing conferences. I like meeting people. I think podcasting and... Um, Bitcoin have a lot of common as far as um, the people are the same. The people in Bitcoin right now are the same as people in podcasting were back in 2006, 7, and 8. Um, they want to help each other. They are not uh, necessarily, I'm not saying they don't want to make money in either one, but that's not what they're all about. And if you go to talk to someone right. about Bitcoin, they're like that. They want to help people. They aren't trying to sell their Bitcoin. You know, that's what I always tell them. I said, I'm not trying to sell you any Bitcoin here. I'm just telling you yeah. the scoop. You can... Do with it as you want. And so I find a lot of similarities, though, between podcasters and Bitcoiners. Um, now podcasting has grown up and it's not the same. And I'm sure Bitcoin will grow up someday and it won't be the same. But right now there is. So I like talking on podcasts because I get to meet people and learn. And I wanted to do a conference because I get to invite people to speak that I want to learn from. And that, that may sound kind of crazy way to do a conference or a reason to do a conference, but that was the basic thing. I wanted to do a conference because I could control the learning environment, make contacts, meet people. And now, you know, it's turned out to be a very successful conference. Um, we're a smaller conference because this is the first time I've done something that I don't want to be the largest. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be the largest. Last year, we capped it at 100 or I capped it at 125 people. That's all I would let. This year, we'll have about 200. I think the biggest the conference will ever get would be 300. And then... Um, that would be, that? well, I just don't want to do it. There's a lot of work doing a conference. I mean, and I don't want to do that much work. I mean, I work on this all year, this conference, and it's you know going to be just 200 people. So, um, I, you know, if I start getting bigger, I got to hire people. Like at Podcast Movement, we had full-time people that worked for us all year. You know, that was their only job was working for the conference, you know, not just at the event. I mean, there's a lot of work behind the scenes getting that ready. You know, um, set up, you know, took us uh, two days to set up just all the stage and the props and the rooms and stuff like that. So I, I, oh, and I, sure. and I sure. also think a smaller conference is um, it's harder to get sponsors, you know, because most sponsors want to sponsor something big like the podcast movement. We would have Google, we would have Spotify, we'd have Pandora, you know, we'd have huge sponsors. But when you're a small small conference, they don't want to come to that. They don't feel it's worth their time. So it's harder to get sponsors, which makes it harder to raise money, which means your ticket price has to be higher because you still have to pay for the rooms. You still have to pay all the expenses. You know, I have to pay for every one of those tables that someone's had, every one of those chairs. Um, so you have to, and you have to guarantee certain things. Like you'll spend a certain amount of coffee, you know, or a certain amount of food, like the little hors d'oeuvres at the party at night. Most people don't realize this, you know, like at the after party thing we have, there'll be people, there'll be some drinks you can get and people walking around with trays of hors d'oeuvres. So at a hotel, each one of those hors d'oeuvres is like $8. So you pick up a chip cracker with cheese on it and a little shrimp on it, that's $8. Yeah. So you got to raise money for the conference to have it. And if, if big sponsors don't want to come in, you can't get someone to come in and give you thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 with 300 people there. So, you know, at some conferences, like... I'm probably rambling off now, but like at a conference that has 3,000 people, 
you could almost give tickets away. I mean, you know, you make revenue off the tickets, but you're going to have enough people paying fifty, seventy thousand dollars to be sponsors. Yeah. You know that you don't need that. You're not dependent on the revenue from the tickets. Right. I mean, that makes sense. Um, so I want to go back a little bit to what you mentioned about people that are in Bitcoin right now and that people that were the early podcasters and then tying that to uh, starting a Bitcoin conference. Because that's the reason I actually so I, I was like, like you said, we were speaking about this earlier. I think this was before the show, but you were talking about all your friends come to you and ask Bitcoin questions. I have the same reputation. I'm like known as, you know, like the Bitcoin guy, but my friends, every, if they have a question about it, they come to me. Um, and I was getting a lot of questions and I have been for a while about, you know, how to do this or what is this? And, you know, just everything you can imagine when it comes to Bitcoin. And I was like, what's the most like effective way to teach people about this all at the same time? So I don't have to, you know, teach the same thing on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start a podcast and that's, pretty much the reason I got into it was to teach people about it. And if they want to listen, they'll listen. And it also allows me a gateway into the Bitcoin community. So I can have people like you on the show. I can have, you know, potentially, you know, like Matt O'Dell and other people that I've been following in the space for a long time. I can sit down and actually have a conversation with them. And then, you know, you have a relationship after that, which is something really cool because I right now, I mean, I've, I've obviously seen what you look like before, but I, we're not speaking face to face. Um, but whenever we speak and meet each other next week at the conference, it's going to be like, we know each other a little bit. Cause we, you know, we recorded a podcast together. So I think, yeah, yeah really I cool. agree. And that's one of the reasons I start podcasts is, or I started my Bitcoin podcast was I wanted to learn, except I wanted to learn instead of teach. And, yeah. um, and I, I don't mind people learning with me if they are interested in what I'm interested in. That's how I kind of look at podcasting. Podcasting gives me a gateway or a doorway to talk to people I would never get to talk to. That would never talk to me. But if I call them and say, hey, can I have you on my podcast? You know, like if I just call, for instance, Max Geyser and, and message and say, Max, can I talk to you for a half an hour? He's going to be pretty busy, you know, but because I'm doing a podcast. I can get him on my show and I can talk to him and find out questions that I have. And I can get personal answers from people about questions I have. And as I said earlier, I think I'm pretty average Joe. I, I kind of think that's my superpower is being average Joe. I see things like an average Joe. And I, I feel personally that if I'm interested in something, then a lot of other people are going to be interested in it. And so if I'm asking a question about something, it's a question maybe that a lot of other people have. So as I say, I'm educating myself is the reason I do the work. But at the same time, other people are getting to enjoy the ride with me and benefit from me educating myself. Um, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. I wasn't saying it like I was doing the podcast to, for me to just teach people. Obviously, I know a little bit, but the people that are going to end up coming on the show are, I mean, they're all going to know more than I do. Right. So that's, and I'm, and then that's, that's another personality trait that I think comes out of the Bitcoin community is everyone wants to learn, really. Everyone is constantly learning. And when you dive down this rabbit hole, um, <clears throat> You know, there's so much outside of Bitcoin that you really need to start to understand. We're talking about Austrian economics was some I studied economics in college and that's something they don't even mention. Like this whole history of economics is just totally excluded from at the, you know, at the college level. 
And that's something that I learned because of my interest in Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a, when you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, it's kind of funny how many financial things it kind of like stems off to that you start going down other rabbit holes. Yeah. It's like, I never knew much about gold or silver. Now I know quite a bit about it. I'm not a gold bug or silver bug, but I just have learned about gold and silver because of Bitcoin. You know, I knew yeah. nothing about Austrian economics or Keynesian economics, but now I feel like I'm pretty much have a good general working knowledge of both. Um, not that I'm an economist or anything, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I kind of right. like know what's going on at least ways I feel like. But there are other rabbit holes you go down when you go down the first rabbit hole. Um, there's like, I guess there are like tunnels that you go down. You go down a rabbit hole and then it branches off in the other tunnels. And you start yeah. going down all these other tunnels. And, and I don't think that like happens. A, it comes like a web. in podcasting. Yeah, it does. It does. And that doesn't happen in podcasting or a lot of things. So I think that's why the rabbit hole is really a definitely a good way to put it. And it's a good name for your show too. I appreciate that. Um, so since we're going down this rabbit hole, I want to talk about, so you, so, you know, bring it up fast forward to now. Um, you, you started this Bitcoin conference, you have multiple Bitcoin podcasts. Um, and you've, I think, did you coin the name the Bitcoin boomer or did people start calling you that? Um, I think people started calling me that. I started the, um, the hashtag using the hashtag Bitcoin for boomers. And then all of a sudden, everybody started calling me the Bitcoin boomer. So I, you know, I think what happened really, <clears throat> it, what happened here is the guys all that work with me, they're all in their 30s. I don't have anyone that works for me that's probably over 40. You know, I, I don't like hanging around old people for the most part because um, they don't, they aren't very creative anymore and they're kind of too relaxed. <laughs> they aren't on the go. I like being on the go. But they were saying, um, telling me about OK Boomer. I wasn't familiar with this whole OK Boomer thing. <laughs> and I was, they were telling me that, you know, just messing with you going, you guys destroyed the world. You know, all the things that people say about boomers. I'm like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I said, that's the craziest thing I ever I heard. So I got online and started searching OK Boomer. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, I saw a school teacher who a student said, OK Boomer. And she had a video. You know, there's phones everywhere now. So, of course, someone in the class had a phone and filled her. And she went off the wall. How insulting for you to call me a boomer. She was just going off the wall. And I was like going, why would she get so upset? Does she not know that she's like over 60? I mean, why is she so upset? Because that was my first thing. Why would you care if someone said, okay, boomer? I mean, because someone's just telling you, okay, old man. I mean, yeah, and I look in the mirror every day and see I'm an old man. So that really kind of confused and puzzled me. So I decided right then and there that day when I discovered all this and they told me, I said, well, I'm going to claim that shit. Excuse me. I'm going to claim being a boomer because I am. I'm going to own that. So that day I started using Bitcoin for Boomer hashtag and I went and bought the domains. I don't know what I'll do with them, but, you know, I always want to buy my domains. I buy the singular and plural or the, I bought a thing in this case, Bitcoin for Boomers and Boomers for Bitcoin, you know, .com. So I decided to start owning it. So I use it all the time, Bitcoin for Boomers. And uh, yeah, I, I, I have no problem being a Boomer. I think that you know, my generation probably had the best generation to ever grow up in as far as I'm concerned, you know. Absolutely. I mean, not only financially. Oh my gosh, music-wise, I hear I hear the music I hear, heard in high school rehashed all the time. I definitely didn't listen to my parent parents Lawrence Welk or whatever, you know, and they didn't rehash that stuff. 
you know, when I was a kid, we had our own music. And I know rap is your maybe a different music, but still, even in that, it uses a lot of the same songs that I grew up with. I listen to something, I go, oh my gosh, that's, you know, from uh, Bill Haley in the comments or something. What kind of music do you listen to, Gary? I like hard rock and roll. I like Beatles a lot, though, too. I'm a big oh, Beatles, but, uh, Beatles fan. Beatles were awesome. Yeah, I listen mostly to Beatles, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin. Yep. Yeah, I went to um, my first concert. This is off stage, but I was like 14. We went to see Alice Cooper, and maybe I was 15. And I thought we were going to see a girl. I didn't know Alice Cooper was a guy because I'd never been to a concert. And so we were going to this concert, and I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. And for some reason, even though that's a small town, when uh, uh, big bands come down from, I guess, New York in the days they drove, I guess, in the olden days, like they hit New York and they hit towns all the way down and they stopped in Charleston, South Carolina. Every band that came to the U.S. pretty much just about stopped in Charleston, South Carolina. So, you know, I, I saw Black Sabbath. I saw Jethro Tull. I saw, you know, I saw Stone several times. I saw everybody, you know, just about. It was kind of funny how this little town had all these great concerts there. But, you yeah, know, it's funny when I went to see Alice my Cooper. language now. But, uh, yeah, I like, I like rock and roll. Me too, man. That's what I grew up grew up on. So I like used to travel around and play competitive baseball. So we would be driving in tournaments, and my dad would always play this game with me. From, I mean, probably from the it started before baseball. It's probably from the time I was like four or five years old, and then by the time you know I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, playing baseball, traveling, long road trips, he would always ask me like, "Hey, who's this?" And it would be, you know, a 70 or 80s band. And when I was younger, I was like, how, how am I supposed to know who this is? And then by the time, you know, I was 12, 13, 14, it was just like, oh, this is Alice Cooper. Oh, this is Tesla. And just like all the, you know, the hard rock that came out of the 80s. And yeah. now it's just stuck with me, man. I, I can't. It's like the best generations of music ever. Yeah, Zeppelin, like I said, I think I, on the list of the best bands ever for sure. I, I think that, uh, like I said, getting back to it, I think the Boomers grew up in the best time in society, not only uh, uh, financially, but as far as extracurricular music, everything. I mean, and we definitely, I think, had a break financially. You know, um, you know, we grew up just at a good time. You know, the dollar hadn't been destroyed yet. You know, when I was in like, I don't know, maybe third grade, I think, fourth grade. All of a sudden, I remember the quarters had uh, copper, you know, in the center. They were like sandwiches instead of uh, all silver anymore. I remember when that happened because I thought that we all thought kids thought that was weird looking. I don't know if all the kids thought it was weird looking. I thought it was weird. I remember that, though. My parents were saving silver, you know, the dimes and quarters. <laughs> like it was going to be worth something. You know, that was 50, 50 something years ago, maybe 55 years ago. Now, you know, a silver dollar is maybe worth Sixteen dollars or something because it's junk silver, so they, they were planning for the long haul, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you saw this. Um, I think this happened about maybe over a week and a half ago, two weeks. Um, Steven Mnuchin put out the tweet about getting those coins back in circulation. I saw that. <laughs> I didn't understand the uh, deal on that. I don't know either. I thought it was interesting though. Yeah, I thought it was it's funny, though. You know, I find money all the time now. I always find money. I've always have found money. You know, my dad, he was a, a construction worker. And um, he grew up son of a construction worker. And they didn't have much money, you know, back then. Nothing. I'm not knocking construction workers. That's just his job. He was a construction worker, and he didn't make a lot of money. 
um, even compared to those standards, you know, like in our neighborhood. And so he was, his big thing was always walk around with your head down and not with your head up in the air, like your hoity toity. Cause there's no flo- money floating up in the air. All the money's laying on the ground. that falls out of people's pockets. So we, that was, he told us that all the time. So I guess we all were walking around with our heads down, you know, like we were in shame, but we were looking for money. And uh, I found money all the time. My whole life, I found money. I found wads of money. You know, I found $50 in a wad, hundreds of dollars in a wad. I found a lot of money in my life. But now, I find a lot of money now. I mean, I really do. I've, I've even started taking photographs of it. I find so much money. Um, dollar bills, $5 bills occasionally laying around. But change? Oh, my God, it's everywhere. I mean, you, you'll find piles of change. You know, that just sounds crazy. But the other day, I was walking and there was like, 40 cents laying there on the sidewalk. And uh, I passed by it even and went into the convenience store and I came back and it was still there. And later afternoon I went and it was still there. And I was like, how long is this money going to be here before someone picks up this money? And uh, then later that day, the money was gone. Someone picked it up, I guess, because the little convenience store sells cigarettes one at a time. You know, it's in a poor side of town. So you could pick that up and go get a cigarette. I think they charge 50 cents for a cigarette or something. So, but it just confuses me how... That just kind of shows what's happening to our money. When I was a kid, you'd never find a penny laying on the ground that stayed on the ground. I mean, you know what I mean? It wouldn't be there for a a full day, one cent. But now people walk by and they don't care. They would have never had those little little cups in the 7-Eleven leave a penny. And sometimes you look in there and there's dimes and quarters. And you never would have seen the one for a penny when I was a kid. Penny was a lot of money. Now yeah. people don't want to carry their pennies around. They just don't even want to mess with their change. So are you saying this is like our money has lost so much value that people yes. don't care? That's exactly what I'm saying. It has no value. So people don't even want to carry it around, you know, as far as change goes. So I could see why he would have to say, let's get your change out there and start spending it because no one takes it with him the next day. You know, I come home, put my change in the tray I have, and that's it. The next day I start out with bills. You know, and I go into a store and I buy something, I get changed. That night I come home, I throw that change in the tray. And the next morning, I just take with me when I leave the bills. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people do that. A lot of people don't even put it in a tray. I just can't. I have a hard time giving money away. I mean, probably because I'm a a boomer and I remember when a Coke was six cents. So deep down inside, you know, I look at things and I see a higher value for coins than there actually are. You know, because I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I go, oh, there's a Coke. There's six cents. Oh, oh, there's 30 cents. I could go to a movie, you know, which I can't. But I think I've am mentally sub, subconsciously trained like Pavlov's dog. But when I see money, yeah. it has value, even though it doesn't have value or the same value I see it as. Right. So let, let's go into this further. So you, you're just speaking about um, boom, boomers basically growing up in, in a great generation in history. Uh for a multitude of reasons, especially around the economic and financial side of things. And then you got to see what happened after the, after we got off the gold standard, how does that influence your perspective on Bitcoin? Well, I think it causes me maybe to more, uh, to maybe to see it even more clearly than a younger person does. Because I remember when a Coke was six cents. Now a Coke's two dollars. I hate to say that again, but I think it's a great example of what's happened to our money. You know, if you use the same math, 
if you use the same math over 40 years, I don't know what it would be, but I think a Coke's going to be, would be a hundred dollars. Okay. So probably higher than that, but let's just say it's only a hundred dollars. That is the incorrect math because when I was a kid, they took us off the gold standard when I was like 13 or 14, I think. And for the first while, they weren't printing that much money, not like they are now. So without them really going to town printing money, without them like just, you know, printer go brr, you know, the money was already decreasing in value where it went from six cents to two dollars. You know, now we're going to see that same thing happen. Six cents to two dollars, that same math happened, but it's going to be on steroids because of the money printing has been added to it. So we were already losing due to inflation, you know, because the Fed wants to keep us at 2% or whatever. So we were already losing money at a nice clip. But now we're going to be losing money at a better clip. So instead of that Coke that was six cents is now $2 costing $100, it could be $300 in another 40 years. Does that make any sense where I'm going with that? Because sometimes I confuse myself. No, absolutely. It makes complete sense. And, we, and I'm not we, using a calculator right now on any of this. So don't anyone yeah. measuring, oh, that Coke, the percentage, it would be $1.98. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm just saying it's a lot, you know. No, I, I think I think we, I, I at least, and I hope people that are listening will understand what you're, like, you're generalizing, but it makes sense. So, so to me, Bitcoin uh, is the natural alternative. You can't, and also... Gold and silver, you can get excited about. But I talked to someone recently, who I won't mention her name, who's a Bitcoiner. And he was um, somewhere on the coast of Texas at a point when a hurricane came through. And he had a lot of gold and silver at his house. And they had to abandon the island he was on because the hurricane was coming. And he realized he couldn't take his gold and silver with him. Oh, wow. And he's like, I got to leave that here. And he was really in a dilemma. Do I leave and leave a vast fortune here? Or I won't, vast fortune might be overstating it. But do I leave my all my money here and just leave? Or do I stay here to protect my money? You know, and he ended up staying. Because I guess he figured if someone found their safe, they may come back with a tow truck and take it. I don't know what he figured. But luckily he's alive. But this gold and silver works for that. But there are negative points to it. You know, and that's one right there. You, know, you really can't go hauling around bricks of gold, you yeah. know, or bricks of not silver. Portable. No, it's not. It's and not silver portable. and gold are heavy. I mean, yeah. so it doesn't take a lot of the builder weight where Bitcoin is not. And also, you know, the thing I find that people, they aren't sure that I'm telling the truth, but the thing they most like about Bitcoin, or at least ways people, uh, boomers, I'm just going to say boomers in general, is the limited amount. They do like it because even my wife the other day said, and she's heard nothing but, but Bitcoin stuff from me now for years. And she goes, well, if you're, if you're right and they aren't just fooling you and there is only 21 million, I go, who's fooling me, Kathy? Who do you think is out there fooling me? I mean, it's open code. Anyone can look at yeah. it. You think there's this big cartel of Bitcoin <laughs> Bitcoiners that are fooling the world? But they do like the 21 million uh, pro, uh, limited uh, part of it. That, and I think that comes from you know, seeing inflation, that there is no limit. And I think anyone should see that. But I don't think a lot of younger people pay much attention to this stuff. I think they're just, and I think that's part of being a young person. You're just into yourself. You got a lot going on. You're invincible. You know, you're trying to meet people. You're trying to meet a spouse. You know, you're trying to have fun. You know, you're at the prime of your life. So I think that's natural. 
Um, but it's a yeah. shame because a lot of them don't know what's going on. Um, you know, because I'll talk Very to people true. and they have no idea. And there's some goal show I was watching. I watch a lot of YouTube now. I don't watch real regular TV much anymore. Uh, you know, I have, sounds stupid to say, but it's a smart TV, you know, that has all the channels and I have my YouTube app. So I just sit there and watch YouTube all night on TV. And uh, I, I, I don't know how YouTube finds these shows to give you, but some of them you're interested in and you've never put anything in, but it showed me this show about gold. And this guy, I don't know who this guy is, but he goes to places and tries to give away gold. A gold coin, you know, $2,000 or whatever it is now. He'll try to give it to people or sell it to them for a dollar or something. And people want nothing to do with him. He's like, here's a contest. He has one. Here's a contest. If you can guess how much this is within 25%, it's yours. And people will guess is it worth a dollar? It's a gold dollar. Is it worth a dollar? Oh my God. Is it worth $25? I mean, they have no clue. Uh, and like I said, I'm not pushing gold, but I think people should have a, a clue as to what the value of things are, but they have no clue at all. I mean, and he, and he could yeah. be like asking a hundred people and finding the 20 people only that did it, but it's yeah. really kind of interesting that the answer anyone would give to me. I mean, I, I mean, in some of the people on the streets that they ask questions to, it's it just amazes me. Some people don't even know like states in the United States. <laughs> they don't even know who we who we get freedom yeah. from. <laughs> it's <laughs> like asking to name the first president, and they're gonna they're gonna say it wrong. So I mean, yeah. asking to name I, the founding father. I saw one the other day. <laughs> name name three founding fathers, and they were like Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> um, they couldn't. So, and, and, you know, that's really hard to understand. That's something about our school system. You know, that's a deeper issue. That's not, uh, maybe you could say that's the person's fault for not knowing it, but that has to do with the school systems. I think that they should know this. They should know the bill of rights. They should know how voting works. I mean, I don't know that. I don't think they teach civics anymore. I, I don't know why that's a bad course. I mean, people should know this stuff. It affects them highly unless they don't want people knowing, you know, yeah. Um, unless that's not the agenda of the country for people to know how the system works. Oh, I think that's definitely part of it, especially on the economic side of things. I mean, they don't, they don't teach you anything about money in school. They didn't teach so, you much about money when I was a kid either. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't, I, mean, I grew up, I didn't know how to bounce a checkbook when I left, when I left home, you know, my kids definitely did. They had their own credit cards and, you know, we gave both our kids a credit card at like, 13 or whatever. And when the credit card bill came, we just handed the envelope. They had to go upstairs, add up all the expenses that were theirs, add up all the expenses that were ours and come back and pay us what they owed us. And they'd mm -hmm. come downstairs and go, here's my credit card bill. I owe, I owe on the credit card bill, $82, you know, and they'd hand us our $82. So they definitely understood money. They knew how to spend money. They knew they were responsible for money. They knew if they messed up, it came out of their money. I had a kid who uh, went to, when she went to college, she was in a sorority and she decided to quit. She didn't want to be in a sorority. We made her give us back our money because we paid the initiation fee and all this stuff for the sorority. And we're not throwing our money away and we're not teaching our kids this good case. So she had to pay us like $600 or whatever it was, you know, for dropping out. She shouldn't have made us spend our money. We were very tough on our kids. Our kids hoed their own way. You know, they had to pay for their own stuff and they learned responsibility. I think kids should have credit cards because we didn't want to have to give them cash if something came up and it was at school and they needed to go to something that they knew we would want. Our kids were smart enough to know I'm going to go to this and my parents are going to pay for it. 
So I'll just go ahead and pay for it now. Because if they were wrong, they were paying for it. You know what I mean? It was yeah. coming out of their check. I mean, they didn't have it. Well, they did. They worked for me at a young age. Uh, I gave, I paid them just like I would anyone. They would come up and do all my filing and, you know, janitorial service. They'd come to work with me on Saturday and Sunday and work and get a nice little check. You know, so I, th- I think that's the best way to teach finances is to actually give it to your kids and not depend on the school system for that because they're not doing it. They didn't do it when I was a kid. They didn't do it when you were, you were a kid. They aren't doing it for kids now. So if you want your kids to be financially independent, you need to get off your butt and spend a little time teaching them simplest, simple things like pay off your credit card every month. You can't afford that interest. That'll kill you. I mean, what's interest now? I bet interest now is still outrageous on a credit card, even though you can get a house for like 2% or something. Probably still yeah. a big ripoff if you're late on your credit card and then the penalties. It's, it's outrageous. It is. And so I think there's a distinction, though, between teaching people about personal finances. I think that's a great lesson that you taught your kids about, you know, not wasting money. But there's a difference in the finance side of it and the economic side of it of what is money. And the teachings, like, I don't think most people understand inflation. And then they, then they say that the government says it's 2% inflation, which is, it's not. I mean, if no, you that's, like they, the, they say they want. Yeah. Yeah, they say they want. But that but means they, that's the worst it's ever going to be. That's the best it's ever going to be. The best it's ever going to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, the, it's not. So they, they, they look at basically, so they say that, you know, the consumer pricing index, CPI, like headline inflation of what they target. Um, that's what they like broadcast. But then when they're measuring it internally, they're using PCE, which doesn't take into a cost the inflation of food or energy. Mm-hmm. So then they're using and why, the flawed- and why don't they include those? Why would you exempt those items? Those are pretty much something everybody uses. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs food. Everybody needs energy. Yeah, I could see right. what you might say. Well, we're not going to include that in that the cost of diamonds because <laughs> people are yeah. a lot of diamonds. Nobody buys diamonds, right? And so that could skew it because they they're like that goes up and down too fast. But food and energy is something every person in America uses every day more than anything else, probably. Yeah. So then they then they come out with like after they look at it and they measure it off PCE, then they they're like, okay, we need to target for more. And so it's just like they're drawing the wrong conclusions because what they're measuring isn't what they're broadcasting. And so if you look at something like the Chapwood Index, which measures like the top 500 most purchased goods, it's like, uh, you know, bath towels and dish soap and, you know, just basic things that everyone is buying. Um inflation depending on where you're at like it does it city by city is anywhere from like eight to twelve percent a year is really what it is after and when we're printing money the way we are it's even higher so i, I don't know what it's going to be after you know this well and after then, we, yeah and then you've got that though but you also i like to look at the um i think it's called the dxy index yeah and that's the, yeah. yeah, the value of the dollar compared to other currencies, you know, as a, compared, I guess, to a basket of currencies. I think this went into effect when they took the dollar off the gold standard. Hell, today, a dollar is worth 93 cents. <laughs> I mean, and that's like just in today's terms, that's not like over the last 10 years. It's like down from like a month ago, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, this whole thing is is crazy, this whole financial system. And people have no idea what's going on. And they don't see it. And things are going up in the grocery stores. They don't see it. You know, because I said something the other day to my kids. I said, 
you guys see things are more expensive in the stores? And they were like, no, I, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. I just, I'm a, I feel like when I buy stuff, it costs more. I can't put a finger on it. And maybe that's just me too. But um, I feel like things are costing more, you know? They definitely are. Everything is. I mean, even since just March, prices have gone up. Meat is That's what I'm saying. Now. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not talking about going up over the last few years. Yeah. I'm talking about this year. Things yeah, are more expensive. It's, it's gone up a lot. Yeah, meat is really expensive. Okay, so going back, we keep going down these rabbit holes. Um, no pun intended. But someone like my grandpa. Okay, so my grandpa is in his 70s. You know, he's so not I could be your grandpa, you're saying, huh? Money. I could be your grandpa, you're saying. You what? I could be your grandpa, you're saying. I'm 65, so I could be your grandpa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Won't be too much uh, longer, so I could be someone's great grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't have the internet in his home. He he just got an iPhone like a year or two ago, which he's he's finding out the wonders of the internet. That which he's basically put off for a long time. And that's happened to a lot of people. I mean, a lot of older people never had a computer. And they never so, used the computer until they got a phone. Right. So how do you convince someone like that? Or not even just convince them. I'm not trying to like advocate somebody should go buy Bitcoin. But how do you even get them to entertain the thought of a internet-based currency when there's this generational gap of people who really, really don't understand the internet for someone like me. I mean, I'm, I'm a technology architect. I mean, I design software and I design blockchain software. So it's very easy for me to make sense of it in my mind, but somebody who has this sort of, you know, this moat they have to cross to even have an understanding of it. Like, how are they going to trust something like, you know, there's only 21 million coins or, you know, that it's decentralized. Like, what does that even mean to somebody like that? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe because, like you said, he hasn't had the internet, so he's computer illiterate completely, even internet illiterate. Um, so, and, and a lot of boomers are that way. The only time they ever used a computer was to check out at a grocery store to vote at the voting booth. You know, they, they really don't use a computer in their everyday life, um, which is a shame because it would open up a whole new world to them. But they are getting phones, so they are learning now, and they are using a computer for the first time, even though they don't think of it as a computer. You know, um, how many times have I heard someone say, I was scared to do that on the computer. I was scared I might break it or something. You know, <laughs> you're not going to break the computer, you know, by typing something in it. Or, But the main thing, I think, is just to do a basic education, just to try to get them. And I'm talking real basic. I think the problem people make with uh, – non-Bitcoiners, whether they're boomers or whether they're 19, it basically is the same thing on this, I believe, is they want to really jump in and have them spend a lot of money on Bitcoin. Uh, You need to do this and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be good for you. The world's going to change and all this. But you just need to give them a basic, either one, a basic explanation and try to convince them to do something simple to start with. Something simple like buying some Bitcoin from Swan, $5 a month, $5 a week. You know, yeah. or what they can afford. You know, I have a friend who I got into it and he started out with $100 a week, you know, and had no idea. And I said, Mark, you need to get some skin in the game here. I'm pr- telling you. And he, for a couple of years, he's going, well, I was thinking maybe I could buy $100,000 worth of this. And I think he told me that last time 
it was like last time he told me that, or the first time he told me that it was like $3,200, you know, and he'll ask me, go, how much is that Bitcoin now? I go, oh, 12,000. He goes, how much was it when we talked first time? 3,200. He goes, damn, I should have bought that. I'm going, yeah, you should have. So, <laughs> but I was able to, even though I could never sell him on the idea of investing in Bitcoin, because it was just, even though he was saying it, and even though he definitely could afford it without a doubt, he just, it just was a step too big. So yeah. by getting him to use Swan, and I'm not saying this to make any money off Swan. I, I one of the uh, people involved with Swan, but Swan, I think Cash App does this now. If you get a place where they can get some Bitcoin and buy a small amount on a regular basis, and that's the deal, the regular basis, because that makes them keep up with it and put some skin in the game. Not mm-hmm. much skin. If you're putting five dollars a week, it's not much, but you're looking at Bitcoin every week to make sure your five dollars got purchased. You know, I'm just using five dollars as an amount, and you're seeing it right. go up and it go down, and you're seeing what's happening, and you have a little bit of skin in the game. So then, you start investigating it more over time. And now my friend, who was started out with uh, the hundred dollars a week or whatever, now he's up to two or three hundred dollars a week. You know, he's raised his limit because he's starting to see what's happening. He's starting to understand it and not from talking to me because I just we just text once in a while. And we went out to eat last week and it's the first time I'd seen him in two months. But he's like learning on his own now, even though it took him a year and a half went by, basically, from the time he said he was going to throw one hundred thousand dollars in it to when he started using Swan. He had not bought one or any Bitcoin. Now, by getting him to start doing Swan on a monthly basis or I think it'd be started on a weekly basis by doing it on a weekly basis. He's got some skin in the game and he's teaching himself because he wants to know what in the hell am I getting here? I'm mm-hmm. seeing it go up. This is kind of interesting. Yeah. And, and when they see their money go up, even if it's a small amount, especially an old person, you know, an old person starts putting in, they're going to have that syndrome I talked about where they think $5 will get them a steak dinner, you know, because <laughs> they remember it when they were a kid. You know, so they're going to be watching that five dollars. They're going to go, "Gosh, it's seven dollars now. That's a hell of a deal." Whereas someone younger might not think it's a hell of a deal. An old person's really going to think that's a big deal. So they're going to be more excited about Swan, and that's going to, or about Bitcoin by buying it dollar cost averaging, and not because they're dollar cost averaging it, but because they're buying it on a regular basis. That's what's yeah. going to get them interested and get them some skin mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, you know, the dollar cost and- averaging is a great way to buy, but that's not going to get them interested. And it, it, it makes it safer too. I mean, if you're not just going full in at full speed at, you know, 11.5 or whatever it is right now, you know, and you're buying weekly, you're, you're catching the dumps and the pumps and, you know, it's, it's a much safer way to jump into a volatile asset like this. I like yeah. Swan a lot. And how I've many times have you, guys this week. and how many times has someone bought on the way up? Yeah. And then it drops down and they go, God, I put in. I bought a Bitcoin. I paid 12000 for it. Now it's worth eight. I'm getting out of this shit. I've already lost this money. Where mm-hmm. if they're putting it in over time, they're not getting negged out that quickly because that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It jumps. It's a very volatile asset. So if you're putting it in over time and you see it drop and it does drop, you know, 10% in a day, you look and you go, well, I've got right now $400 I've put into it over the last three months and it's worth $395. I'm only down five. Right. So you're not getting yeah. out. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 
But I think that's the key is to get him some skin in the game. Because I think whether you're 18 or whether you're 70, if you want to find out something, you get some skin in the game and you're going to be interested because you got skin in the game, you're going to learn something about it. And so to me, I, I think you can talk anyone into spending $5 a month. I mean, really. I mean, you know, your your granddad probably wouldn't have a problem with $5 a month. Now, you try to talk him into spending $5,000. He's going to go, I don't know. I don't want to throw $5,000 away. To me, I remember when $5,000 could buy you two cars. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a whole lot of money. Uh, where now you can't even get a used car probably for $5,000. It's worth a damn. But, uh, but if you try to get him to spend $5, they'll go, okay, I'll spend $5. Just leave me alone, you know. But then they got some skin in the game, and then they start buying Bitcoin. Then they start looking at what's happening with it. Then they start seeing the price go up and down, and they get more interested, and they'll search Bitcoin on their phone. Okay, I got to find out some more about this stuff. Search Bitcoin on Google. Let's see what comes up. And then they start educating themselves. And you don't even need to be involved anymore. That should be your goal if you want to educate people on Bitcoin is to get them to start investing a small amount on a regular basis. Not just buy a large amount once. Not just buy a small amount once, but buy a small amount on a regular basis so I continue being involved with it to some degree. Because this is the involvement with it that's mm-hmm. going to do it, not having it. It's not like a, a gold bar. You stick it in the thing there and you you know you want to learn this because this is doing something nothing else has done. There's not a lot to learn about gold. You got a gold bar and you stick it in there. It's a gold bar and maybe you make a bracelet out of it. That's about it. Maybe you can find out what the temperature is to smelt, to smelt it and make stuff with it. But beside that, there's not a whole lot to learn about gold. I guess you could go learn Isaac Newton started the gold standard. I mean, if you really wanted to get into it, but that's about it. But Bitcoin, there's a lot to learn and a lot happening because this is a new technology. This isn't just a product. It's a technology. And by having that $5 a week, $5 a month that you're buying, they'll learn more about the technology. And the more they learn about the technology, the more they will up the amount they're buying every time on their own. Mm -hmm. They won't come to you and go, hey. I think I need to get $10 worth of a month now. They won't even need to ask you. They'll just say, hey, I think I'm going to move this up to $10 a month. Now I'm starting to understand it. And before you know it, time goes by and they goes, hey, grandson, I bought a Bitcoin. I got a whole Bitcoin now. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's true, though. And so I feel like getting people into DCA into it is, is definitely the safest move. Uh, I love Swan. I've been using Swan. I just joined the Swan Force, um, and I'm trying to get those guys to come on the show. I've been chatting with them this week, like Corey and Brady and Reed. So hopefully that works out. Well, Corey's okay. a great guy. He he he's a great person yeah. to have on the show. Well, you you yeah. have a big. You should give out your uh, Swan link then. I'm yeah. So I'm the the link is still not up. I applied on Monday for it. Um, so hopefully it comes out this week. But I'm gonna throw it in the the intro to this episode anyway. Okay. So people can, and I, so I had a buddy that's been, he was, he was DCAing on cash app and then his, his bank blocked it. So oh, really? I thought that, yeah. I thought that was interesting. I made a so purchase, gonna, um, maybe eight months ago of some, uh, Bitcoin, um, transfer some money. And, uh, the next day our bank account was, uh, closed and, and my wife's going, did you do something, uh, change the password on the online app? It wasn't closed. It was like she couldn't access it with the, with the, the online. I said, no, I haven't touched it at all. I said, I did buy some Bitcoin yesterday. And she goes, what does that mean? I said, well, I told you when we started using the bank account for Bitcoin, they might shut it down. And she's like, you think they shut it down? I said, well, you can't get in it. 
I mean, so something's happened. So she gets on the phone and calls him raising hell. And they're like, oh, no, that was an error. We didn't mean to shut down that thing. And she goes, well, did you shut this down? Because my husband must have been going, no, we would never do that. It was Bank of America. And uh, well, of course they did it. Yeah, of course they did. And uh, but she got on their ass and they opened it back up. That was weird, though. So, yeah, you're right. The, the banks will shut you down in a heartbeat. Matter of fact, I opened up an account for BitBlock Boom at a bank that I do my business at. And I so I, they get a ton of business from me. And so I wanted to do it as a separate company. And they called me after I had my account opened, money deposited in it, checks, everything. And said, we were, I was searching the name Bitblock Boom and it is a Bitcoin company. We're not allowed to do business with companies that do, what was it she told me? Um, marijuana product, cannabis, gambling, or Bitcoin. And I said, what? He said, yeah, if you, we're not allowed to do business with cannabis, gambling, or Bitcoin sites. Uh, our, our customers can't be in those businesses. I said, well, I'm not selling Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, I'm just an educational company. Educating and having conferences about Bitcoin. He goes, well, I have to take this to the whoever the people are in his bank that make decisions on that. And then he called me back the next day and they said, okay, they decided you could keep your account. I was like, well, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, so that was kind of weird that, that I thought that the Bitcoin companies were thrown in the same pot as cannabis and gambling or casinos. Don't you think that's weird? Oh, it's definitely weird. And it's just because they want control. I mean, governments there. I mean, it's I don't know. It's weird. They do things very back. They're very back and forth on their on the way that they're portraying their stance on Bitcoin. Like Two weeks ago, you know, banks can custody crypto assets. And, but at the same time, banks will cut, shut off your account if you're buying Bitcoin. Yeah. Like you said, your friend was using the cash app yeah. and it got cut off. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they don't want you to have control over your Bitcoins. But if you own Bitcoin, they will let you surely deposit into a bank. So, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with like coming off the gold standard. They made everybody turn in their gold. And then they raised the price of gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, that was crazy. But, you know, I don't foresee, you know, what I, if, if Bitcoin became the world money, you know, if that, some people say, oh, it's become the world currency. If that did happen, I don't think uh, the US government would have enough of it and they would want more of it. So I think they would do that again. I think they would confiscate Bitcoin, but I don't think they'd come up to me and you and take our Bitcoin. I think they would go to the exchanges. And take their Bitcoin. Um, so you would have to, the people who just left their Bitcoin on exchanges would all lose their Bitcoin. I think that would give them all they needed. You know, that's, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Cause they wouldn't come to your house and say, we know you've got a, a wallet in there. Give us your wallet. You know, give me your open dime. Give me <laughs> whatever your cold card. I yeah. lost it all. Yeah. I sent it to Joe Biden on Twitter. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but they would go to Coinbase and go, we're shutting you down and we're confiscating because they did that basically to gold. You know, they went to, you know, gold storage places and took their gold, you know, in the 30s or whatever. The difference, though, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is people couldn't just move with their gold. Nowadays, if, if say, you know, Whatever government in the you know the country you live in is going to confiscate Bitcoin, whether it's the U.S. government or you know whatever whoever it is, 
you could just move and you could cross borders. I don't with, think it's I don't think um, it's that easy. I don't really think it's that easy. I I, th- I I hear people say that, but I don't think it's that easy to just move out of the United States. Number one, yeah. if that starts happening, other countries don't want you coming either because the United States is going to put pressure on them not to let you. So you're either going to go up to Canada or you're going to drive down to South America. It's not like you're just getting on a plane and going to France. You know, and I've got my Bitcoin memorized, so I just move to France. And I mean, you got to get to France. And you got to let France is going to let you in the country. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, if you have a passport early, though, you you know. Well, I mean, I don't even care if you have a passport. Now. I don't think if, it, if there's like, so like right now in Hong Kong. Okay. If you've got one of those buildings on the coast in Hong Kong, some of the most expensive real estate in the world. You can't, first of all, we know you can't sell it for gold and just wheel around that gold on a plane. So you're going to be using Bitcoin. You got to get out of the country. You think they're just letting everybody take off from Hong Kong right now? I, I wouldn't think so. I think those people pretty much are prisoners on that country. I don't think right. they have a lot of freedom to just say, I'm taking off to the US. You know, I'm taking off to France. Even if France and the US will let them in, I don't think Hong Kong's letting them out. I mean, I don't know. I'm not in Hong Kong. I'm just guessing. You know, I I, I I know it's got to be tougher to get out of Hong Kong now with your belongings or your money or your Bitcoin than it was four years ago. So I, I think that that's, I mean, now you could go down to the islands pretty easy. Right. I mean, it's easier to get out with Bitcoin than it is to get out oh, with gold or cash. Much easier to take your wealth with you. So I, I would say Bitcoin's the easiest yes. out of the three. No, I agree 100%. I'm just saying I think it's going to be harder to get out when it's time for the getting out than people think. Yeah. You know, I mean, now you could go, if you were ahead of the curve, you could get out. But once the yeah. getting out is, it's time you need to be out of here, it's going to be hard to get out. You know, so for many people who go, oh my gosh, I should have left a year ago. <laughs> you're, you're right. You should have left a year ago because it's going to be hard for you to get somewhere now because people have been going for a while and they're shutting the doors. There are a lot of Americans. It's not like yeah. Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong's a lot of people, but it's not like America. If America evacuates, it's a, it's a lot of people hitting the world. So do you think that's going to happen with governments? Not in my lifetime. I don't think so either. Yeah, I'm just I'm just using I, I like, scenarios. I, I don't think it'll happen yeah, in my yeah, lifetime. Yeah. It's something that a lot of people think about, especially when they first get into Bitcoin. Is like, oh, is, you know, is the gov- U.S. government going to shut down the use of Bitcoin? Yeah, I don't think they would shut down the use of Bitcoin because I don't think it can be shut down. First of all, I don't think they can shut it down. Uh, I think they can take it. Uh, but I think it's more of a case. I think it's more of a case that the United States government will realize that other governments are starting to mine Bitcoin. I think we'll see more yeah. countries other than Iran and Venezuela mm-hmm. mining Bitcoin. I think we'll see just like just like you're starting to see some investors that are well-known financial investors, well-known by boomers, you're starting to see some of them invest in Bitcoin. I think you're going to start seeing some countries that are not dictatorships mining Bitcoin. And then I think you're going to see the United States saying, whoa, 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 what's happening here? We can't be left out of this. Then they're going to start mining Bitcoin. And then once these countries start realizing they need to have some of this, then we're going to see Bitcoin really moon and they won't want to get out because now the United States government was mining Bitcoin. They've got so much Bitcoin. You know, they're just going to be like a person. They don't want to ruin the value of what they have. 
Yeah. You know, you could spend that money whether you're wanting to give it to the homeless or whether you're wanting to buy, buy tanks. You're going to be able to spend it. So you're not going to say, let's make all this worth nothing. That's the game theory aspect of it, though. And that's that's why I ultimately don't think that governments, because let's say the U.S. government did want to come out and ban Bitcoin. That's just going to make, you know, other countries, China, Russia, Iran, any any country want to use it because they know America isn't using it. And then it's going to drive the price up and America is going to be like, well, we should not, you know, this isn't economically like responsible for us. You know, we could potentially be adding a lot of wealth to, to the citizens, which is, you know, going to stimulate the economy, blah, blah, blah. So the game theory aspect of it is really interesting. Yeah, I agree completely. It's like, and so can you sit back and say, okay, we just want South Korea and Venezuela and China owning all the Bitcoin. Yeah. And then that becomes the world currency at some point in time. And they've got billions and billions of dollars, trillions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. And the United States government's having to go steal it from their citizens, uh, you know, from Coinbase and places. Yeah. Because you know, they have to have some. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to disappear anytime soon. All right. Well, we're at an hour and five minutes. Um, the last thing I'm going to ask you is, do you really think Bitcoin is a store of value? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I can put it simple. I definitely think it's a store of value. Uh, I think it's probably one of the best stores of value, personally. I'm, I believe in it. I believe it's going to be a better store of value over the long haul than gold or silver. Definitely better value of the long haul than than dollars. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much sold. You know, and I recommend everybody. I'm not a financial advisor, but throw a little bit in there. Don't throw more than you can lose than afford to lose, but throw a little bit in there. Like I said, even if it's five dollars a month, get some skin in the game and start watching it. That's the only way you're going to learn about something is get some skin in the game. You know, it's like if you bet on football games. You know, if you're a guy who bets on football every Sunday, I guarantee you, you know all those players and all the teams. You know who's the best quarterback you want on your fantasy football team. You know when two teams match up, what the odds are on them. The same thing happens from getting skin in the game on Bitcoin. You'll know yeah. what Bitcoin is. You'll know what mining is. You'll know what blockchain is. You'll know how many Bitcoins there are. You'll know how many Bitcoins are made every day. You, you'll just learn this stuff just like you learn who the best quarterback is or who the best team is. You just learn this stuff because you got skin in the game. I say that a lot, but it's just, it's just, I want to make sure people do it because it just takes a little while to set up nowadays compared to what it was just a few years ago. You know, that's the thing. A lot of people have hard times too, that are boomers is setting up accounts. I got to show my driver's license and stuff. I got to give my bank account information. You know, I got a lot of money in here. <laughs> They're not going to steal all that money in here. Heck with the money I'm buying with Bitcoin. I'm more worried about the rest of the money in there. Right. I think that's great advice, too. That's actually, so I've never really big been big into fantasy football. But like two years ago, I started and I was like, well, you know what? I paid to play in the league. And then by the end of it, you know, I was addicted to it. And I knew every player and was watching games because, you know, I had a small, just a small stake in it. Um, and then this year I tried to convince my fantasy league to like, let's play for Bitcoin. And we took a vote on it and I lost big time. I think like two people voted to play for Bitcoin. 
And so I was like, okay, well, there's 12 people in this league, you know, the price of the entry fee, I'm just going to market buy right now. So I market bought for what it would be, you know, for everyone in the league to have bought. And I want to, I want to compare that now with what it'll be in a year and five years from now. Cause I told them, I was like, this is, this could be one of the most important fantasy wins of all time. If we play for Bitcoin, Yeah, you know, you get a, you know, you get a couple, you know, a hundred dollars of Bitcoin for winning. And it's like maybe in a, a few years, that's worth a couple thousand, you know? Right. And I, I want to show that picture to them uh, for the for the next couple of years. That's like a friend of mine who has a pair of sunglasses. He bought when Bitcoin was 50 cents, you know, and he has the sunglasses and he calls them his $60,000 sunglasses. <laughs> you know, he bought them with Bitcoin online somewhere back in the day. And he goes, yep, those sunglasses cost me $60,000 or whatever the amount is. So, um, oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> he has a hard time. I think he keeps that as a reminder not to spend his Bitcoin. Yeah, because <laughs> they aren't that good at sunglasses. I promise you. <laughs> but that would be a that would be a good that's a good point to make to them. You should. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that ends up. Well, I know how to end up. They would yeah. have been much better <laughs> off if they uh, had done the Bitcoin. But see, it's an obstacle to overcome. If they all had Bitcoin accounts already somewhere, accounts to buy Bitcoin, they'd have said okay. Or your numbers would have been higher. But they don't. So no. you're now getting them to bet in Bitcoin and they have to do another step. They have to go get no. some of this. And they don't know how to get it and they don't want to mess with it. It's easier just to use the money. Yeah, you're right. They could have just sent me the $25 and I would have bought for them. And it probably would have been a much more secure way to do it. But Yeah, and you could have you know. just had a pool with the Bitcoin in one account. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but if you, uh, yeah, but yeah, you're right. They should have done it that way. That would have been a better way to do it. Well, we'll see how it ends up. Gary, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. It was awesome. It was nice um, talking to you. I look forward to meeting you uh, this yeah. weekend at Bitblock Moon. I know. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Uh, do you want to link anybody to your shows? Uh, no, just uh, they want to follow me on Twitter. I post everything there. So they just follow me. I'm Gary Leland on Twitter. That's cool. Huh? Awesome. Hey, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me.